So epitage, as we've defined it, as we've trademarked it, is it's consciously abrasive. It's an idea of being a part of a community and not being afraid to stand a part of that community well. Hello and welcome to the Chip Away podcast. My name is Adam and I talk with passionate construction professionals and try to chip away at what it is to build, create and shape the landscape we live in. My guest for this episode is Jared Waitley, owner of Epitage Workwear and Dubtaps Construction from Asheville, North Carolina. I was introduced to Jared through his lifestyle workwear line on Instagram and managed to sit down with the man himself for this beast of a podcast. Within a few moments, I knew that I was speaking with someone worth listening to. Jared is a multi-talented guy. He's a father, owner-operator of a construction company, and a champion for the community of blue-collar workers worldwide through his clothing brand, Epitage. He has a great story, and it was a pleasure to get to listen to him and share his thoughts and experiences. I learned a lot. I have much respect to Jared, who gave hours of his time to myself uh, in this podcast all the way down here in New Zealand. Jared is the epitome of the type of character this industry needs to lead us forward, and I encourage you to check him out and get behind him. I really enjoyed this one, so check it out. Okay, Jared, thanks for coming on the Chip Away podcast. I uh, appreciate your time. I wouldn't mind jumping straight into it and um, asking you, where did the, the name Epitage uh, come from? Why did you choose that for your clothing company? Well, Adam, it's awesome to join you. Um, you know, you've got a really cool thing going here. Uh, I think you're doing an awesome job helping build the community and uh, broaden the conversation, uh, mm. both in New Zealand and abroad. Um, because I think uh, the community and the, the lifestyle that we live is um, it's, it's actually very tight knit across the world. Um, yes. And, and that kind of rolls into the, the name of the brand. Um, mm -hmm. Then the word is epitage um, and it's actually a French derivative of a word called epitore. Um, mm -hmm. And as it turns out, I thought it was a word. It's not a word. It's actually made up. So, you know, uh, if you research it, if you do some Googling, you find that the Russian community mm -hmm. um, uses the word epitage. Um, the way it was posed to me uh, was that uh, this is a, uh, is a person who uh, has a, a behavior as an outsider. Um, mm. And they do this... Uh, to some degree of attention seeking, but also to some degree of thought provoking behavior. Sure. Um, so there's no, as you may be familiar, when you're translating a word from one language to the to another, there's not always a direct um, translation. And so what what we've done is we've taken it and we've boiled it down to two simple words. It's consciously abrasive. Mm. Um, so epitage, as we've defined it, as we've trademarked it is it's consciously abrasive it's an idea of being a part of a community and not being afraid to stand a part of that community well mm. as well mm -hmm. um and so you see that in kind of each uh iteration of the design we bring from the brand 
Yes. Uh, the logo itself is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a backward facing and a forward facing E. This is a play on the word itself that it begins and ends in an E. Um, but it's also kind of the ability to stand back to back. It's the ability uh, to contrast. Um, and it's the ability to stand together as well. So it, to me, it, it symbolizes a lot. It means a lot to us. Um, and then it's, it's in kind of what we would call a graffiti style, a West Coast graffiti style in the United States. This, this is, um, you know, a subculture we respect greatly. Um, and when I say graffiti, I do not mean street art. A lot of people think that uh, when I say graffiti, I mean something pretty. I actually don't mean this whatsoever. What mm -hmm. I mean is, you know, when you go in a Porta John and you see a dick pic, you know, <laughs> that is graffiti. You know, yeah. when you see someone in there that says, you know, fuck foreman, dot, 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 you know, uh, you know, that's graffiti. When you see anyone's name, when a little kid grabs a marker for the first time and writes on the wall, um, this is... Uh, something I've always respected is the idea that, you know, we live in the moment and that moment can't be chased. Um, and photographs, imagery, you know, uh, graffiti on walls of caves. Um, you know, this is how we've kind of marked society. And, mm. and we, we hold that very in very high esteem. Uh, a lot of our street team are active in the graffiti community. and. We love it. So that, that's it. Epitage is, is consciously abrasive, street forward workwear. I like it. I like it. Thanks very much. I'm wondering also if we can get some background to set those further conversations um, about community and about um, how this all got, got going. Um, I wouldn't mind just knowing the background a little bit of about yourself um, and not only how you formed Epitage, but um, your own background in the construction industry. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, as you know, Dickies is owned by VF Corp, right? Mm -hmm. This is the same company that owns brand, uh, brands like Vans and uh, I think Columbia or North Face, one of these two. They, they own hundreds of other brands, literally, um, uh, you know, we are one of what I would assume are the few. I don't know. There are literally hundreds and thousands of brands, but um, the brand itself was founded on my background. I grew up. Um, my father was a carpenter um, in the Union in Kansas City. Uh, this is some of my best memories are getting up and watching my old man tie his boots and get ready and go to work. And I can remember, you know, him hitting his foot with a jackhammer you know, and blowing his big toe all apart and, you know, uh, kind of him reminiscing on how things could have been better, who had messed up, all of this. Um, and then my grandfather actually also poured concrete and mm. would build uh, large grain silos across the Midwest mm. um, before eventually finding his way in a factory. So, you know, I consider myself a third generation builder. Um, you know, my kids are very interested in construction. I'm hoping they'll be fourth generation builders. Um, so, I mean, my old story is kind of like, I can remember being 10 years old on the roof of a house, you know, and I'm throwing shingles off 
And my old man looks at me and he goes, Jared, if you fall off, you're fired before you hit the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, motherfucker, am I getting paid today? And he's like, stop asking about pay. Your pay is house. You know, you, you live in my house, you eat my food. And, mm. and that was just the environment I grew up in, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so growing up around construction, I was... Uh, you know, often not doing very cool jobs, mowing yards, um, helping my dad cut wood, working with my dad, placing concrete on the weekends, whatever it may be. And then, uh, you know, there, there became this transition. I got into BMX uh, around maybe when I was 12 years old. I got 10, 11, 12 years old, started getting into BMX, and I went from being somebody who wasn't cool because all I ever did was work in my spare time uh, to being pretty cool because I knew how to run saws and I could get a hold of building materials and we would go on to people's job sites, homes in the neighborhood and steal their lumber <laughs> and build ramps, you know, and I was, I was a person who was uh, physically capable and had had experience. So, you know, my, my ramps collapsed less than others. And I, that's when I started to realize like the skills I'd picked up, actually enabled me to be valuable to a community and in this community it was it was ramps but you know as time passed i saw it be very valuable when i moved into graphic design because to be a carpenter you have to understand angles you have to understand the balance of design and work and you have to understand to some degree that if something on paper is composed and looks like it may fall over for some reason, that's part of our human nature. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we had to develop these sense of building skills um, a long time ago. And, and some of us have carried that on. Some of us have not, have not, but I think the earlier that this idea through Legos, Jenga, whatever is infused with kids is, is great because I do think the core of good design comes out of it. So, mm -hmm. After, after high school, I actually went straight into the military um, and served in the Air Force in the United States, Air Force, and, um, and was a meteorologist. Um, mm. This is what Uncle Sam, uh, you know, what we call the government here, mm -hmm. decided I would be good at and um, served, enjoyed my time, spent it in Anchorage, Alaska. When I got out, I, you know, we call it knocked up, but I impregnated my, my future ex-wife. You know, mm -hmm. this is part of the part of life. I impregnated my future ex-wife young and I said, holy shit, it's time to grow up. Mm. Um, well, I was raised in a household where they said, like, look, you don't want to be a builder. Your old man's body's broken down. His old man, his old man's body's broken down. They go, you got to be an engineer. Maybe mm. you want to be an architect. You're like one of these art kids. And I said, OK, well, I looked it up and I said, this is bullshit, you know. I'm getting paid, and are you okay with obscenities? Yeah, go for it. Okay, cool, because I like to let fly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I looked it up, and the statistics just showed. You know, in the United States, we have the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it's telling me I got to go be in school for six years to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I got to be in school, you know, four to six years to be an architect. And an architect, at least in the United States, doesn't get paid squat, you know. Mm. Um, and an engineer gets paid pretty decent, but they are nerds, you know, they're just out there with their calculator and their spreadsheets and they're figuring it out. And that's cool. A lot of people dig that. 
I got too way, way too much energy for this. Mm-hmm. But then I look and I go, hey, look, I can go get a degree in construction management. The curriculum, so the, what your, your education path is really flexible. I think I can do it fast. Um, and I get paid well. Mm-hmm. You know, I get paid 20, 30% more than an engineer and 100% more than an architect. Right. I go, well, to hell with all this. I got kids coming down the road. I think I can get through school. And, uh, and I finished a two, uh, four year, a four year construction management degree in two and a half years. Nice. Um, and so I did that and I just started building. I started in industrial construction, um, building combined cycle natural gas power plants. Mm. Um, so that's where I came into it and I went straight into the nerd side. No, you know, I had swung tools. I'd placed concrete, built pools, sidewalks, you know sheds houses barns whatever um but i went straight into working on spreadsheets negotiating contracts um but where i found the real differentiator was is i enjoyed being in the field Mm -hmm. um so when we were going through on a power plant you know you've got literally tens of thousands of welds on pipes that are going to be holding you know uh, high pressure steam systems and it's critical energy for the entire community around you. And what I found when I came from, you know, a university setting to the corporate setting is a lot of those people who pursued a four-year degree didn't want to be in the dirt, in the mud, talking to the welders, talking to the iron workers, talking to literally anyone. And I became a person who would be a go-between for the engineers and for the field. And this is where I, you know, I found that that competency was lacking. So I moved from managing industrial projects to more commercial projects, built a big brewery um, on, for New Belgium Brewing Company. You may, may have heard of this, mm. but uh, I, I built their East Coast Brewery and then moved into commercial construction. And then after a few more years of that, came out on my own. And now I'm my own general contractor, um, building my own projects under a company called Dubcaps. And then I run this clothing company as well. So that's, that's how I got in and around the construction industries. Basically had no fucking choice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like many of us, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, I have a similar story and I kind of resisted coming into the industry myself. I'm a fourth generation carpenter now um and i thought man i'm gonna try and break the cycle and maybe do something else and i couldn't find it out what i was gonna do um and so i went out and got an apprenticeship and now i just could not think of anything better to do with my time i absolutely love it so i find at least in my experience it's something for some people anyway it's something you grow into you know you have to be thrown in there in the dirt and get after it for a while and you develop that love and that passion for the, for the trade. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a natural resistance to the construction lifestyle Mm. um, because you get up early, you know, and you work hard. um, And when you first come into it, there's a lot of sarcasm. There's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of belittling. You know, you have to have thick skin and I don't know what you call that 
um, in New Zealand, but you have to be willing to get your ass beat a little bit mm-hmm. um, and take your knocks to move on and progress. Um, I, I seen it in my own kids. I have an eight and a 10 year old, a boy and a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is the oldest. My son is the youngest. And, and both of them have already started to point out in other kids and other adults in situations they can see that they have a level of resilience just by being raised in and around the environment that mm. other people in the community in the, the broader city that I live in, they, they don't understand how folks don't have the work ethic or the commitment to see projects through, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, and I do think that <clears throat> society has a way of looking down on people with dirty hands or calloused hands, or, you know, maybe their hair is disheveled, or they got, you know, holes on their clothes, and things like this. Um, But that's, that's consumption fucking with people's heads. You Mm. know, this is, this is materialism. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's, it's a lack of self awareness, you know, and it's a lack of personal accountability. You know, um, it, it should make no difference to anyone else, whether I have a shirt with holes in it or not. Mm. It should make no difference to anyone else if my jeans are dirty or not. Mm. However, you know, uh, it's, it's ingrained in society that the nicer the vehicle you drive, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. The nicer the house you live in, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. Or the more responsible the individual. Um, this is it's not in fact a reality. And that's Mm. something that our community has to face on a daily basis. It's why I'm so proud of everyone we communicate with, you know, is that, you know, we use the term outsider. This is what we say. Okay. Um, Is that epitage has been developed by outsiders for outsiders. Okay. And it's, uh, it's actually a play um, on, on our entire community's mind because there are outsiders within our community. I I don't really understand why, but there are outsiders in our community. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but our community itself, the construction industry is an outsider to the broader society. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that social systems move towards, you know, tears and these sorts of things to help self elevate those who may not have the confidence they would like to have. And, and that to me is, is the struggle that you and I have both talked about here is, you know, for me, I didn't think it was cool to be able to cut wood until other people needed me to cut wood for their mm-hmm. ramps, mm-hmm. which that's bullshit. You know, this is an immature perspective. Mm-hmm. An immature perspective looks outward for validation. You know, mm-hmm. there's only one thing you can own in this whole life. And that's yourself, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and if you're seeking validation from someone else, you'll just never find it. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something that I would like, you know, we would like everyone to be aware of is yeah. that we're here to support everyone's unique ambition. So I appreciate you sharing that with me because it's cool to hear other people struggle with even being a fourth generation, you know, how your family's been doing it longer than me. Mm-hmm. Or in my family, um, 
So thank you, Adam, for sharing that. Yeah, no worries. And I and I um, I think I reflect your sentiments there. And one thing from looking within our community is that what we value, at least the guys at the coalface, the guys and girls who are swinging the tools, um, really when it boils down to it, it's about competency and it's about being good at your job. And that's what's valued in like, hey, so what if this guy's got a martini's hammer or this guy drives a flash of truck than, uh, than me? Really, when it, when it comes down to it, uh, what, what gets you up in the morning, what earns you the money is, is your work ethic and, and how good you are at your job. Whereas that, from the outside looking in, like you were saying, there's other parts of society that just don't really respect that or see that. And um, yeah, it's interesting how that plays on on our own community and how we can forget our own value. Um, something that perhaps this pandemic with COVID has brought to light is, um, and it gets thrown around all around the world is the idea of who's essential and who's not, or perhaps what skills and um, abilities people have are, are essential. Um, and I think it, it shows um, like, Hey, it doesn't matter kind of what car you drive and what house you live in when someone can't, come around and fix your plumbing when you've got a leak it's like you're up shit's creek literally you know like that's what's valuable when it boils down to it yeah it's uh it's it's an interesting paradox that that maybe the most critical workers in our societies you know we've just said like architects you know they're not making as much okay mm-hmm. engineers they're not making as much well look you know, I got to be honest with you, Adam, you know, here's where I'm biased. You know, they're not making as much as me because of the level of education. You know, they're not making as much because they can't produce the outcomes. The, the real reality is that, you know, the broad swath of our community really is not getting compensated at a high enough rate to recognize the risks they take on a daily basis. Okay. Um, I've got, you know, framers, um, wood framers who will build a house for me. They'll be 40 feet in the air, mm-hmm. deciding not to wear a harness, you know, deciding not to be tied off to things. And there's a certain amount of training you can provide these folks and a certain amount of education you can provide. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out and people need to find their own path, right? We had a gentleman who was working on a house for us literally 40 feet in the air, had issues with the client wanting to offer him alcohol, you know, wanting to offer him, we call it weed, marijuana, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Not really understanding that they may be compromising that individual's life Mm -hmm. by encouraging bad behavior, you know, and bad behavior. I'm not talking about you want to drink on your own time. You know, that's up to you. Um, You want to smoke weed? Really? That's up to you as well. but when it comes to being on the job site, being conscious, prepared, ready to go to work, you know, as a supervisor, as a manager, it's our job to ensure that that person is very well prepared, that they go home the same way they came to work. Mm-hmm. And that gentleman ended up falling on the next project, breaking, breaking both his back or both his legs and his back, wow. you know, and, and how do you compensate somebody for that? Mm. You know, you, you really, 
come the end of the day is very difficult because in the United States, you know, you can talk whatever you'd like about healthcare systems, but in the United States on small projects, on small jobs, a lot of the times contractors do not have the right insurances in place to take care of their healthcare needs. Mm -hmm. um, when something like this happens, a very large burden falls on the working class population themselves, and it can become uh, a debt cycle, which they're not capable of getting out of. Mm. And this is where, you know, you see the paradox of somebody like that may be essential because if he's not taking care of and maintaining these structures, well, the structures become derelict. Mm -hmm. When the structure becomes derelict, then the building owner, who almost certainly doesn't own the building, they own a mortgage on the building. Mm. They have issues paying for that mortgage, right? Then the bank has an asset that is now overvalued, but the person who took the loan isn't paying the loan. Mm. And this is where you get cracks in, a, in an economic system. So the entire system is built off of working class labor getting out there and providing you know, a high level of competency, often, often in risky environments mm -hmm. for long hours away from their family. I mean, when I look at it, it's a bad situation where people are often undercompensated and, and we see it in the clothing industry, you know, um, as a small brand, it is obscenely difficult to try and keep costs um, at an affordable level for folks. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and especially to try and be a workwear brand at the same time. You mm -hmm. know, we don't have the luxury of charging $100 for a t-shirt. You know, people are very open and, and tell us straight up, look, I can't buy your $20, $25, $30 shirt until Friday. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's their payday. And then they can get, you know, that next little bit of money to buy something they would like. And, and to me that, that breaks my heart. And sometimes it's like, Hey, you know, let's not ask them if they're ready to even buy something on Friday because who knows what they're compromising if they're buying our clothing instead of, Hey, maybe there's another tool they could buy. Maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe they don't have the right yo-yo for their tie off. Maybe, you know, heck people miss their heating bills in the United States or their cooling bills or whatever and then they get in trouble, you know, yeah. and we don't want our clothing brand to be any part of that. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we scramp and we try and hold our, our, sh our fair share of those costs and keep what we call, you know, our profits as low as possible to ensure that we can encourage our community through the brand. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and so I know I kind of spun off of that essential worker, but hopefully through that story, you can see a little bit of our passion for the worker themselves, you know, for, you know, our guys, wherever they may be, New York, Los Angeles, right here in Asheville, North Carolina, where we're at. Sometimes we literally will buy boots for our workers that I've never even met before mm -hmm. and send them brand new $160 boots just because I'm like, look, you can't be working with that shit on your feet, mm. you know? You know how many shirts you have to sell to make up buying somebody a nice quality pair of boots? It's a lot, man. Yeah. Um, but it's worth it to encourage. For us, the fundamental, you know, part of society is is anyone who's going and performing a blue collar job every day. Yeah.
absolutely well said so i wouldn't mind you've kind of touched on it a little bit there but what what made you want to start epitage and, and an apparel workwear company uh, what was the idea behind that yeah so it's um it's falling back to that uh idea of outsiders mm-hmm. um we kind of you know i've been interested in the idea of brands for a long time mm-hmm. and been somewhat confused about aspirational consumption mm. um so the idea that a mercedes is better than a volkswagen you know the idea that um a lexus is better than a toyota i really don't understand this concept i'm i'm a terrible capitalist evidently and so when i kind of surveyed the landscape of brands and the idea of iconography and all of this i said okay well, um, there's no one who represents what I see from my crews. My crews here in Asheville, before I left commercial construction and started my own construction company, I was buying and reselling houses. And we had a crew of carpenters working for us. And we're talking, these guys had been, and we're going through everything. You know, um, are you familiar with fentanyl? Yes. Okay, so, you know, these boys, um, in a lot of cases, were in recovery programs from fentanyl, where they'd been addicted to heroin, fentanyl, whatever. They had seen a side of life that I hadn't seen. I grew up, um, maybe you know what this term, straight edge? Yes, I do, yeah. Okay, so I grew up straight edge in the punk rock and hardcore scene. I started claiming mm-hmm. straight edge when I was 13, you right. know? going to shows with older kids screaming, you know, no drugs, no sex, you know, all this shit, right? Mm-hmm. No fucking really. But um, <clears throat> so I, I had this attachment to these boys where I could see how hard they were working, um, but they were once again set aside. And then they would be looked down by folks. I know what they were making a year. I was paying them thirty-five dollars to $50,000 a year. And so they were getting paid well but they had their own struggles. Mm. And I thought, shit, these guys are not being represented by anyone. You know, mm-hmm. um, sure, you have Dickies, you have Carhartt, you have this sort of thing. And then uh, through traveling a lot, I would see construction workers in New York. And I started connecting with construction workers in New York. And when you look at certain brands, what you will see is a bearded white man. Mm. You know, you will see a prototypical person okay Mm -hmm. this this is not who i am it's you know for anyone who's never seen me before you know i've got tattoos up around my neck you know um uh i've got hand tattoos you can see all this and even though i've run hundreds of millions of dollars worth of work if you see me in the street people are highly skeptical of who i am Mm. um i'm native american Mm -hmm. this is it i'm of the cherokee nation and Indigenous peoples around this entire world have been treated like shit. Mm -hmm. My people are treated like shit. In deep urban communities, my black brothers are looked down on. In Kansas City, where I'm from, Hispanic workers are looked down on. In Asheville, where I'm from, Hispanic workers are looked down on. And it's all bullshit. You know, Mm -hmm. we're all just grinding ourselves down and putting our lives on the line every day. And so the idea of outsiders and supporting everyone in our community being all inclusive all inclusive 
you know, the LBGTQ community, um, minorities in the trades for us, it was a simple thing to just say, okay, can we do it? Can we make a brand that says, you know, if you're out there and you're working hard, we love you, we care for you, we want to be a part of what you're a part of. Nice. Um, so this is this simple, you know. Mm-hmm. What do you see when you look at it, Adam? Yeah, um, that's that's what I see, and 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 like uh, you were saying earlier, with, with kind of capitalism making us value certain things. What I think people in our industry value is community, or that's what we strive for. That's what I guess would make our day-to-day lives a lot better if we had that um, greater sense of community within our own industry. Um, because, like you say, um, you know, these guys and girls are going to work, and I know because I do it, and and so do you. You know, we work long hours, we work hard. Right now in New Zealand, it's winter. I wake up at five o'clock, I go to work in the dark, I come home in the dark, I see my kids for like 20 minutes and then they're off to bed. Um, and yeah, that's kind of life. And um, I I think that if we can value that community further, then, you know, you spend so much time with those guys on site, you, you see them more than your partner or your kids or whatever it may be. So with your brand, what I really like about it and what I want to ask you next is that um, if you think it is possible to kind of create a community um, of construction workers around a clothing brand, um, because, you know, it's not something that I guess everyone would think of, um, but it's um, it's a great kind of banner. You know, when I see your T-shirts, the, the Brotherhood of Builders, and, um, you know, you see guys putting those, you know, pictures of themselves in that shirt, from all around the country, all around the world. Um, I just think it's like, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a hunger for that sort of sense of belonging for those blue collar workers to be like, yeah, you know, um, we value ourselves, we value each other and we should be proud of that. So yeah, I'm wondering if, if you think that's, that's obviously a goal of your, of your brand. You know, it's interesting and not to be a nerd here, but I'm going to, I'm going to just ding you a little bit on the way it's phrased, which is, you know, can we build a community, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't think it's about community building. Okay. I think the community exists, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's a recognition of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, you don't, you can't find validation through other people. Mm-hmm. It's not possible. But what you can find with assistance is a, is a voice that you didn't know you had. Mm-hmm. And so... Our objective, you know, is to understand if the community exists, because we really do feel it, it does exist, mm. and, and then to be supportive of it mm-hmm. and, and to encourage it to have whatever conversation it needs to have mm. to become the best version of itself. Mm-hmm. So... In a, in a very strange way, um, our aim is to, is to let the brand be the voice of the community mm-hmm. versus trying to craft a narrative for a community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when, when we talk about like the International Brotherhood of Builders, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is, 
this was kind of the first concept I had was, okay, you know, it, it needs to be an international brotherhood, you know, take gender out of it. Mm. Um, you know, it needs to be a community that understands that the struggle is real every day around the world. And that if you have a Hispanic brother, if you have a Jamaican brother, if you have an Irish brother, if you have a Nigerian brother, you know, sister, if you have someone in your community, they're made of the same things you are, you know, the difference between any one of us is so small. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I see the brand going. And you see that with fuck racism. That's where you see it with um, even, you know, we just started today um, pushing this sisterhood of international builders mm -hmm. logo. It's honestly just a straight iteration of the brotherhood. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't know what it means to people. Mm. We're, we're just sampling it and we're testing it. You know, mm -hmm. I've been saying fuck racism since I was a youth because, you know, my, my grandpa came off the reservations reservations. I don't know if you know, familiar with them, but they're, you know, a piece of land that the government says that native Americans are supposed to live on, you mm. know, it's some bullshit. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they try and take it from us every chance they get anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, for us, it's about having that conversation and allowing an open channel mm. for people to feel heard and feel understood, you know? Mm. Um, and that would be my question to everyone I sit across the table from is, does that resonate with you, Adam? You know, does that resonate with your, with who you've had on the show before? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's really one of the goals of this podcast is to kind of promote that feeling. And I think why I said what I said earlier, um, there's a sense, at least here in, in New Zealand and my own experiences on building sites is, um, although we do strive for that community, it's really, and there, that it does in fact exist. Um, it's easy to play the game of thinking, oh, those guys and girls down the road on that other site, they're all cowboys. They're all useless. You know, we're, we're, we're the guys here doing the real hard work like everyone else is slacking off. And we kind of, I feel at least, we forget that we're all in this together, you know, um, because we're so down here, kind of the struggle, like you say, every day and perhaps we're undervalued by society at large and we're not compensated for the work we do. It does at times get that feeling where it is kind of every man for himself and dog eat dog. And I think where your clothing and that kind of brotherhood or sisterhood of international builders um, is promoting is like kind of step back from that and be like, hang on, we're all in this together. Like let's, let's keep that in mind, you know? And I like that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. This is, you know, we use the term solidarity in the United States mm -hmm. a lot. Um, and uh, I think there are certain sections of society that think that they've accidentally copyrighted it or, 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 or trademarked it in some way, which they've not, you mm -hmm. know, um, solidarity, um, is an individual mission to understand that if you're building, you know, a luxury home, you know, an architectural home, I think maybe you'll call it, mm -hmm. um, versus a shanty house, you know, public housing for low income people. Mm -hmm. The people who are doing the work on both of those projects are doing 
maybe 95%, maybe more, maybe 98% the exact same task. Mm. They're measuring, they're cutting, they're climbing up ladders, they're climbing down from ladders, they're hoisting, you know, they're reading plans, they're reading blueprints, they're communicating. One person who's working on an architectural home versus low-income housing, those people may be getting compensated 20, 50% different mm -hmm. for doing the absolute same task. Mm -hmm. You know, it's my, you know, experience that oftentimes the person who's working for less money is actually working in a more high stress environment with less skilled managers and under a tighter timeline than those who are working on even nicer projects. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is a frustration to me because you'll drive by and you'll see a nice truck at one project and a bad truck at another project. And one guy wants to talk trash on the other, or one yeah. girl wants to talk trash on the other. Mm -hmm. And it's all garbage because really the people who live in those homes, you know, the architectural home, they're actually the one who's taking advantage of that system. Mm. You know, the person who's living in the low income home, they're just trying to get along like everyone else, you see? And that consumption cycle is something that concerns me significantly. And that's why, you know, we call it consciously abrasive. And that's why we have hard conversations. And that's why, you know, uh, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It, it gets the blood pressure going, you know, yeah. but it's why it comes from nothing but love in our hearts. So um, I would implore you, yeah. even if you, if you hear from anyone after this, we're always glad to have that conversation. Um, you know, how do you see it, Adam? Do you see that paradox in New Zealand? Do you see, you know, some of that cultural stress within our community? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Um, and I think some of it, um, I don't know, some of it kind of, I can understand a little bit of it in terms of your abilities um, as a tradesperson, because one thing that we do have as tradespeople is a real, and I think this is kind of misunderstood. And in my experience, whether you are doing, like you say, a, a low income um, housing development or building some luxury building. I feel that when it comes down to it, those individual tradespeople, they're, they're proud of their work and they, um, yeah, they, they value their own work. And if you were to approach them and say, oh, you know, you're not, you're not taking the correct amount of care and um, you know, you're not taking your responsibility serious enough to provide people with this service. I think they'd be offended whatever they're building. Um, and so it's important to individuals on site to kind of have that, um, that self-respect. And yeah, one thing I've always had, if you call a guy like rough um, and to, we'd say, you know, if someone's not great on the tools or if they're kind of cutting corners, then you'd be like, oh, he's a rough builder. Um, and that's kind of, for me, I, I would cringe if someone ever called me that, you know, because I take such pride in my work. Um, I, I can only speak for myself there, but I know everyone who I've worked with has that same thing. You know, if you were to pull a guy or a girl up on the quality of the work that they're producing, you know, whether they have 
tattoos all over their body, whether they're from one culture or another, whether they're building that flash house or, you know, that same unit that they've repeated over and over again, it doesn't matter. Uh, within the community, that's something that reigns true, um, whatever you're doing. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, I agree, Adam. I think, you know, that, that drive, uh, it doesn't change from person to person. Hmm. And, and to me, a valid, very valid conversation worth having is the pressure that goes on to not just the worker, but also the company who the worker is working for. Mm -hmm. Because the types of projects have very different and sometimes very complex financial components that may or may not allow a company to be profitable. Mm -hmm that may or may not allow a company to invest in their tools in a certain way, that may or may not allow them to have the training systems you would like to have in place, you know? Um, and, and that to me is, is the most disheartening part yeah. is that because we can have conversations on an individual level, we will put the teams on an individual level. He and I are having a disagreement. Mm. That person is a rough builder. Mm. Well, maybe that person hasn't had the resources allocated to them that might be necessary to become, you know, not a rough builder. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't mm -hmm. what to become an elite builder, you know, yeah. and mm -hmm. this is something I've seen even in the course of my own career where, you know, if I manage a $50 million project that has phenomenal specs and drawings and has very elite subcontractors and specialty contractors, then I build a phenomenal project mm -hmm. because I have a team surrounded by other teams that are all competent trying to complete something. Mm -hmm. Now, if I build a project that's a hundred thousand dollar project that should cost a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, <laughs> now I'm hiring Basically, anyone who has a pulse, mm -hmm. you know, companies mm -hmm. that may or may not be qualified, that may or may not have the resume experience, mm -hmm. and we're trying to get it done, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in that light, it's easy to look bad, and it's easy to come off not so great, and it's easy to come off rough, mm -hmm. and the pressures that we're talking about are almost always financial. Yes. And that's where as a, as a brand, as a clothing brand, you know, when you talk about why it exists, why we felt passionate about starting it, it was because we saw that a conversation in the community was not being had. Mm. That working class people were being put against each other by powers that you can't see unless you understand the financial background of how the projects came to be, mm -hmm. of how different labor rights movements started across history, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I have a little brother, you know? Let me put it another way. I had a little brother. My little brother was really passionate about mechanics. Mm -hmm. He liked working on cars and was never really embraced by my family in a way, in the sense of, being pushed to pursue his passion. Mm -hmm. You know, they were hopeful that he would pursue 
a more educational path, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he just never felt accepted. And he started seeking approval from outside groups, outside of our family, in different friend circles, fell into very, you know, fell along a, a very difficult path and ended up committing suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. this is a young man who loses his life midway through his 20s, right? Sure, you can say whatever you'd like because he took it himself. But the real reality is, why is it our society would not embrace somebody, you know, who at 10 years old wants to take apart an engine and try and put it back together? (laughs) You know, that's ambition. That's motivation. That's, you know, that's an entrepreneurial spirit. That's everything you want to see from our youth. And we have to get past the biases we have within our own community. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't look at a woman and think that she's less competent. Mm-hmm. You can't look at somebody who's gay and think they're less competent. Mm-hmm. You can't look at somebody who's black or, you know, indigenous or Asian and think that they're less competent. The mm-hmm. first thing you have to do is say, you know, what's the first question? What can they solve? Let me, let me pose a question, see how they respond, engage where they're at. If they're not where you'd like them to be, that isn't because of anything to do with ethnicity or gender. It's everything to do with opportunity that's presented itself mm-hmm. and the mentorship and training that they've received along the way and then their ability to face some of their own decisions. Yes, that's a big part of the calculation. It sucks to make bad decisions. Mm. You know, I've managed bad projects and had to get up at three o'clock every morning and ended up in legal battles. And it's not fun. Mm. But sometimes you have to take your lumps and move on, mm-hmm. you know, and this is where having that awareness that we're all just people, mm. you know, you won't ever talk to anyone on a construction site that's also not a person, you know? <laughs> and because of that, we're all prone to, you know, lapse in our judgment. And we're all prone to extraordinary feats, which nobody thought we were capable of. Mm. You know, it, it swings both ways. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, is, this is the goal. The goal is to encourage people to be inquisitive, to have self-care, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you see somebody who's wearing epitage gear, you should see somebody who's willing to work hard mm-hmm. and who's willing to work hard with anyone by their side, you know, and have anyone on their team. Yeah, I like that. And I think to bring it back again to, to that competency thing, you know, and, and something that you obviously support with your Fuck Racism campaign is that one thing that I think is quite beautiful about the construction industry is um at least at least my experience of it um yes there is kind of racism and there is um you know issues with diversity and especially women coming into the trades but at the end of the day if if we stay true to our kind of community and the principles that we uphold as construction workers really what counts is your your ability and your competency and it doesn't matter about your background and what color you are and where you're from if you can bring it on the tools or if you can solve problems um then at the end of the day you can go far in this industry and and there's a place for you in construction yeah i mean for us 
you know, in the ideal world, we'd have a meritocracy, mm -hmm. you know, um, that's not where we're at, you mm -hmm. know, uh, it's where we would all like to be. Um, it's going to be very difficult because of, you know, uh, all of our biases mm -hmm. because of our subconscious and our conscious biases, you know, and, and so for us, you know, when you talk about empowerment of the community, you know, an empowerment of the conversation, it's really not about building the brand. It's about empowering someone else's awareness and self-belief, mm -hmm. you know, um, when you see somebody you know what's a, what's a popular brand there in in New Zealand for for workwear oh workwear i mean yeah we see that's the thing we don't really have um what i would describe as something like an epitage where it's quite like a fashionable workwear um over here it's strictly like uh bisley fxd um those sorts of brands maybe dickies like you say um where guys will be working that stuff on site um, but we, we usually run uniforms over here. I'm not sure what it's like over the States, oh, but yeah. yeah, we, a lot, most companies have their own kind of uniform. Um, and also up until very recently, at least in the city that I'm in, in Christchurch, um, high vis clothing is essential on site and it usually has to have your company's brand on it. So we don't really get to experiment, um, with our clothing on site, um, oh. as tradespeople, which is a bit of a shame um, because of the kind of basically health and safety regulations is what they try and do to us over here. So yeah, we can choose our own pants and that's it. <laughs> I, <clears throat> you can choose your own pants and, and, and that's it really like you, I mean, there's perhaps some smaller companies where you could probably wear what you want. It's um, the restrictions are less stringent, at least in the city that I'm in. Um, post our earthquake repair and the winding down of that kind of high regulation of everyone has to be in high visibility workwear all the time. Um, so yeah, there's there's not much freedom of expression for for clothing um, within the industry, which is something I wanted to touch on because I don't know what it's like over in the states, but over here, construction industry workers aren't exactly well known for their fashion sense uh, yeah. <laughs> you no, know it's okay that's a that's a worldwide uh occurrence and yes. so uh you know this is why all our clothes are i mean we have black okay mm -hmm. yes it's our best seller okay whatever mm -hmm. but you know this is why we really predominantly focus on the high vis green and orange um and me personally, I basically wear it seven days a week. It's essentially my uniform. Mm. Um, and, and part of it is just to stimulate that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, a part of what we do as a company is, is yeah, absolutely. You know, our shirts, our, our, our clothes are cut in an athletic cut. It's what mm -hmm. it's called in the United States where we have broad through the shoulders, narrow through the hips we carry like a triple X and honestly it fits so ra so random a body size mm. because you have to be like a really fit triple X. You mm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm, to, mm -hmm. to be fitting that you can't be like a triple X who's wearing it all in your belly. You know, um, also our shirts are cut with like a longer torso to mm. where 
you know, if you bend over to pick something up, your ass cracks, not hanging out, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, um, you know, there is this, this funny play we make on fashionability. And the reason being like, if you go visit our street teams in New York, right. These guys are literally on the subway at four o'clock in the morning, mm. you know, and it takes them an hour, hour and a half on the trains to get into Manhattan. And then boom, they're off the site, three thirty, four, four thirty, and it's another hour and a half. They're back six, six thirty, seven o'clock at night. Yeah. You know. Absolutely, in our mind, you should at least have something that somewhat represents who you are. Yes. You know? Is it the coolest thing under the sun? Is it maybe not? You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I can tell you right now, when I go out and I wear my gear looking the way I do, people show it some level of interest. Mm -hmm. And so it goes back to this idea of empowerment. You know, what is fashionable? Mm. What's fashionable? Mm. You know, people look at me all the time and they tell me like, oh, tattoos don't matter in society anymore. And I tell them, okay, when's the last time you dealt with a lawyer who had a neck tattoo covered their whole neck? (laughs) They can never mention this time. You know, I go, when did your mortgage broker have a neck tattoo? Mm. Oh, no. It's about it's about my narrative. It's about um, communication. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to articulate a thought. Um, once you do that, you can look however you like. You can be black. You can be red. You can be yellow. doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you have to first jump past that hurdle. In fashion, it's the same way. Right. You can wear a fucking trash bag and look like a king if you wear it the right way, True. you know, and, and this is all we're trying to do is, yes, the cut for me is phenomenal. You mm-hmm. know, there are certain people who wear it, who are athletic, who don't have anything to do with the trades and they contact us all the time and they go like, hey, man, can I just get some blank shirts? And I tell them, die, we're a workwear company, you know, mm-hmm. and then they have to walk around wearing construction stuff. and they're like, okay, this is the best fitting shirt I have, you know, and it's soft and nice, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is that component that it fits well. And because it fits well, you feel good about it, Mm -hmm. you know? But the other side of it is it's the icon, you know, it's, you know, if you're Christian, you wear the cross, you believe in it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It helps Mm -hmm. empower who you are. If you're an elite athlete and you're sponsored by Nike and that, helps you feel like you can perform better. You may actually perform better, you know, Mm. not because of the gear, but it's because of the emotional state you're put in. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is where we do look at fashion. Like we have an anorak. This is not Mm. common construction workwear cut at all. Mm. Okay. This is full on streetwear. Okay. But what we do is we build it in a Dickies, you know, Dickies style Oxford twill. So if you ever felt the Dickies pants, it's rigid, right? Mm-hmm. This is an ox, an Oxford twill, okay? Mm-hmm. We put it in an anorak, and it's sick, man. It's, it's hard to fuck up. Now, you yeah. definitely can fuck it up for sure, mm-hmm. you know, but this is the story of even, you know, a 12-ounce canvas, yeah. You know, I, I don't even know. Do you guys wear canvas there or is it all synthetics? Um, we wear canvas work pants, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so your canvas work pants are, are probably 12 ounce canvas. Mm-hmm. 
you know, with like a double reinforced knee and all this stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it it holds kind of that level of weight. You know, mm. it's got a water repellent feature, but it does. It has like you know a longer tail on the back, side vents, a kangaroo pocket. Mm. You know, it's 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 freaking awesome to wear in the street. People love it, yeah. right? But mm -hmm. it is meant to take to the job site. The issue we have is once we develop something that's like a little bit too cool or a little bit too expensive, people actually get really coy about wearing it on the job site yes. because they want to keep it in the right kind of way to go out on the town to be presentable. Yeah. Which is cool and we love that, but this is also why we fight to try and make sure we manage our clothing costs mm -hmm. and why we source those internationally. In the United States, this is a very contentious issue. Mm. People email us all the time and will say like, you know, I think it's garbage that you don't source your clothes made in the United States. Um, and we do want to engage that more over time just mm -hmm. because we understand it's important to have jobs here in the United States. However, at the same time, the cost of the goods escalates to the point where people have to buy it as a luxury item. Yeah, And this is the same issue we have once we get to a certain level of design taste, it sounds kind of funny to say, but once the aesthetic of our graphic design gets to be, you know, refined enough, people actually don't feel great wearing it to the job site. And what will happen, like in my own town, I'll run into people out on the town Friday, Saturday, Sunday night wearing high-vis green or orange because they've got the shirt and I'm like, you asshole, you're supposed to be wearing that on the job site. <laughs> and they're like, man, but I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, but shit, man, this is what it's meant for, you know? Mm, mm. And so, you know, this is something where you guys have uniforms. We don't have that here. Basically what we have here is a lot of the times it'll be a hundred percent vest required which Epitage, we do produce a vest. We have a construction vest with mm -hmm. reflectivity tape, pencils, and, you know, pocket holders and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, not our most popular item because people would rather buy cool stuff yeah. um, or yeah. perceived to be cool stuff. But, um, you know, we'll have that here in the United States. And then outside of that, Everyone is buying like, you know, a $5, whatever the cheapest bright green and orange shirt they can be mm -hmm. um, to tear it up because, you know, we work hard. We work hard yeah. as hell and there's no t-shirt on the planet. You know what I mean? I don't care what it's made of that is going to sustain that for a really long period of time, yep. you know? Um, yep. So that's, that's kind of... I guess as good as it gets with fashion and construction, it's yeah. about having the conversation with the community. And then honestly, the way we craft the design speaks volumes. You know, mm. your, your grandpappy ain't wearing our anorak. He's mm. just not doing it. You know, we have a canvas chore coat, which is badass. It's one of our favorite pieces or one of my favorite pieces. And you know, your grandpappy really would wear that. It's almost the exact same chore coat that was produced back in the, you know, 1890s, 1910s, something mm -hmm. like this. You know, it's just a box with a, four pockets on the front, you know, yeah. 
and why does it work? It's a timeless silhouette that's super handy. You mm -hmm. know, it, it makes sense to have four pockets there. You can carry a lot of shit. And when you make it out of denim or canvas, it feels good. Yeah. So we cut it a little bit different. So it's got really long arms. Like a lot of people wear it and they're like, holy cow, who has this long arms? And I'm like, well, I do. It fits me perfect. What do you, <laughs> you know, yeah. but that goes back into that kind of street style, you know, mm -hmm. in, in building, designing the clothes to be worn in layers because you, me, we're going to be working in the field. And when we show up, it could be, you know, 20 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't even know what this is Celsius. It's like minus five Celsius, yeah. you know? And then guess what? We're working for like an hour and it's feeling like a hundred degrees inside our jacket, mm -hmm. you know, when you can't peel it all off or you're going to freeze your ass to death, but you got to be able to stack your clothes. And mm. so that's where we, that's kind of what goes back into workwear is a lot of the time people will pick up one of our jackets and they'll be like, man, this stuff is built to be like gangster, you know, like mm -hmm. everyone's looking like, you know, they're in some kind of, you know, drug deal. And I'm like, well, because when you go to work in it, you need a hoodie under it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, what happens when you don't need a hoodie under it? I'm like, maybe you got 15 t-shirts under it because this is what a lot of guys do too, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, it's all just in the end about empowering you know, mm -hmm. the worker and enabling them, you know, yeah. we go down all, um, mm -hmm. you won't see many workwear companies go down to an extra small, but we do that because we have a pretty strong female audience. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, I work with a lot of our crews, whether it be on drywall or paint or particularly in the finishes, you know, where they're maybe not laboring around lifting heavy stuff the guys can actually be very small, you mm -hmm. know? And, and we see that kind of concern. Honestly, when people order from us, sometimes the, the guys will be talking to us about sizing and not even want to say, hey, can I like get a small? Because, you know, saying I'm a small man makes you feel somehow less secure, mm. you know? So when I hear somebody kind of hesitant around that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a small guy. I'm six foot, you know? and 180 pounds and guess what like if i want to look like maybe wearing a little bit too small of a shirt i can actually fit into our small you mm. know and so i just i try and once again encourage people to be who they want to be you know nice. and let them know that that that's what we're here for and what we're all about great i wonder um just to kind of hover on that just a little bit longer obviously you run the kind of high vis colors the the yellow and slash green um and the orange i just wonder what you think in general about high vis over here it's um it's kind of unpopular um but it's something that represents our industry um so um i'm just wondering if you think is that something that we should kind of rally around those colors is that something that like you say you see guys out on the town wearing high vis um, when they're outside of work, is there something that maybe over there that it's not so kind of looked down on from within the, uh, within the industry? Um, so I'll say it's, it's actually the same here. Okay. Mm -hmm. Generally high vis is seen as very working class. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I never go out and see somebody. Well, actually, this is a lie. You know, there's been a movement inside the last year, year and a half, where brands like um, Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some others, but uh, heck, you know, I, I see it from essentially everyone, Reebok, you know, mm-hmm. where they're putting this high-vis green, high-vis orange into their workout clothes. Yes. And this is part of, um, of course, being out, being wanting to be seen as people run um, or exercise. It's a safety concern. Okay. Um, but really the opposite end of this is that I do think that as, as a community, we do need things to anchor around mm. to show each other we have respect, mm-hmm. to show each other that we're not scared of who we are. Mm. Um, to be able to identify, you know, yeah, absolutely, 100%, that's cool. Like when I go to here, you'll have like a county fair. Are mm-hmm. you familiar with what this is? But like a community gathering. Yep. And I'll just walk through the community gathering. I'll be the only person wearing safety green. And I'll just see guys who look like they could be construction workers. Come on, we're not that we're not that camouflaged, right? <laughs> and uh, and they'll look at me and they'll be like, okay, you know, they know what's going on there, mm. you know. And to me, look, I'm I'm one person. The people who rep our brand are just a few people, you know. Really, when you take into account the global population. Mm-hmm. But if we show people, you can walk around and have a babe on your arm. You can drive a nice vehicle and wear these clothes. Mm -hmm. You can drive a shithole vehicle and not care what anyone thinks Mm -hmm. and wear these clothes. You know, my kids used to have an issue with me. I'll go to their school and speak. Mm -hmm. They'll have like, bring your, your, you know, your parents to school day and talk about what they do. And I'll mm-hmm. go in there. I don't drop as many F bombs then, uh, <laughs> but sometimes I get in trouble. So they used to be like a little bit embarrassed that I would go in there with dirty boots and like looking like all this and everything. Mm-hmm. And then what they found is like a number of the parents would be architects or engineers or would just be somebody working on a home. And all of a sudden, all these people are having conversations with me. Mm. And they're like, Dad, why are these people always talking to you? I'm like, oh, they got an issue. Oh, they had this issue. Oh, they had a problem. Oh, they, you know what I mean? They just needed me to look at, hell, I look at the value of people's homes for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I tell them what they should fix on their home before they sell their house, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and my you know, my kids will be like, why, why are they asking you that, Dad? And I'm like, it's because they don't know. Mm-hmm. Because they're not, to me, just being a competent adult, mm-hmm. being a competent homeowner is knowing how to like change out your toilet, how to like disassemble your pee trap and pull the fucking pubic hairs out of it. You know what I mean? And, you know, like this is simple part of life. Like you can't cock your window outside Give me a break. That water is going to come in and rip your house apart. Mm -hmm. It's tearing your, your entire life investment is getting pulled down because you can't get out a caulking gun and caulk that window. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. you're telling me you can't put 
a 30 foot or a 20 foot or a 15 foot extension ladder up and pull the damn leaves out of the gutter. Mm. You'd rather have that water backing up into mm-hmm. your roof and creating issues, you know, like, and, and what's funny is you have these conversations with people like this and sometimes they think you're a lunatic, mm. right? Mm. And they write you off as a lunatic, but you know what that dumbass does? They go and hire somebody for like 300 bucks to climb up a 15 foot ladder and clear some leaves out of their gutter. <laughs> yeah. So who's a lunatic? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not the lunatic. They're the dumbass. You know, I don't know why their dad didn't teach them that or their mom, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, um, and so to me, the biggest symbol of strength anyone can have is being self-aware and confident. Mm-hmm. And if I work my ass off every day, then you better believe I am proud to wear bright green and bright orange and have people spot me from like three blocks away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I work my damn ass off every day and no one should ever question it. Yeah. And, and to me, it's that simple. Is it cool? I don't know. The community would have to respond to that, you know? Mm-hmm. But to me, it's cool. When I tell people that, they go, that's badass. Mm. do people do it ah that's a different story but they got to find themselves adam you know they got to find peace with who they are you know Mm -hmm. and and that's a big part of what our community is facing you know is the ability to look in the mirror and say this is who i am yes and i think that plays into something that i like to kind of try and raise awareness on this podcast is is the state of uh, mental well-being for construction workers and we've kind of skirted around this um, throughout the conversation about you know workers valuing themselves and their brothers and sisters who are putting in that work every day and in in the same kind of stroke being undervalued by society for what we do and perhaps in general society is especially right now as we progress digitally and things are more and more less practical let's say um and um it's just how we how we how we also how we promote that to the next generation is something i'm quite interested in you know something that um we have a problem over here is that those practical skills are being so undervalued and if that continues and if we underpay uh you know essential workers um who's going to want to take up the shovel and put on a tool belt um in in the years to come because there's so many other easier options like if we're devaluing or not appreciating those people who get out and work hard every day where's the enthusiasm from the next generation to go out and do that essential work especially if it's if it's low pay, if you're leaving in the dark and if you're coming back in the dark and if you're getting kind of looked down on as, hey, you're a scourge on society, you know, you're a, you sucked at school, so now you're a builder. Basically, that's kind of what I see in my own country anyway. Um, and it's like, man, how do we promote that? How do we, how do we make people proud of what they do and what their, what their brothers and sisters are doing every day within our industry? And I think your clothing company is kind of, metaphorically as kind of trying to do that, which I really appreciate. Yeah, that's, I mean, really, you know, this is, it's, it's a situation where I sit on the board 
at a local community college. Mm. I sit on the board at a regional university. And in both of these, you know, industry and professors and instructors come in and say, there's a lack of motivation. There's a lack of interest. There's a lack of desire. And I'll say that there's always a tipping point waiting mm. for, for any change. Um, you know, when you say that you're bad at school, so you're going to become a builder. Well, it takes a hell of a lot of skills to become a builder. Yes, sir. You know, I mean, this is it. Like, um, being a builder is honestly the most difficult thing that I can think of for most people I see. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it's not necessarily difficult to go read a 200 page contract. This is not really that difficult. I'm, you know, I know the English language, you know the English language, you read slow, you underline a couple of keywords and you move on with the program. Mm-hmm. You know, um, now executing on that contract is exceedingly difficult. Understanding all the parameters it takes to bring together multi, multidisciplinary trades is an extraordinarily difficult um, concept that if teachers in our primary and secondary schools understood, they would be out of this world enthusiastic about it. Mm. Every year I speak at what's called STEAM Week in the United States. It's science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm-hmm. And so they like parents who work in STEM degrees, you know, uh, to come speak to classes. And I'll speak with them about the complexity of coordinating electrical, mechanical, plumbing drawings, as well as structural drawings, civil drawings, existing site conditions, geotechnical information. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you right now, the face of these teachers goes completely blank. <laughs> they have no idea what the hell I'm talking about why I'm talking about it, anything like this. Now, this teacher, these adults around here, they're just, they're completely, their mind is blown because they thought like, oh, you just go into a field and start shoving some sticks together and things happen, you know? (laughs) Now those kids, I'm talking kindergartners, Mm. first graders, third graders, are lit up Mm. with excitement. They have the most interested questions the most creative questions. Mm. They are like solving problems that the kids that were in my college courses had no freaking clue how to even ask, mm. you see? Mm. But it's at a very, very young age. It's it's way before someone gets to be 10 years old Yeah, that they can be encouraged to understand how critical you have to think or critically you have to think to digest the built environment around us. Indeed. You know? Yeah. And, and, and so when I look at that, you have to take it in the long view. Mm-hmm. And in the, in, in the long run, anything is possible, okay? Mm-hmm. When I look at it in the service industries right now, man, there are like 18 nerds sitting at desks in an office, like looking at online ads, not producing anything. 
those people are going to lose their jobs. Mm. Mm-hmm. A computer can be taught to do anything any one of those people are doing. Mm-hmm. This is not a difficulty. I mean, I don't know if you studied algorithms or any of the people who listen to this study algorithms. AI, this is not a, this is not a difficult task to even review contracts, to mm-hmm. set up social media management, to, to set up filters that automatically go through and edit all the filters and come up with locations for the text on a screen. All these graphic design jobs, all these cool jobs mm-hmm. are easily replaceable. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you go out and you show me one machine that can lay a brick. Yeah. There isn't, you can't do it. You can't show me a machine that can lay a brick. Mm -hmm. It will take billions of dollars to try and come up with that machine. And then it's going to be full of hydraulic hoses that are going to have to be maintained by people. Mm -hmm. Where are the supplies going to come from to mix the mortar? You know what I mean? How is the reinforcing bar going to go in the wall? Mm Mm-hmm. How is the computer going to re- read the layout of the rebar? Mm. You see what I mean? All of this, the, the, the skills that people bring to the trades are only undervalued because people have no idea how complex they are. Because mm. smart people are convinced they're smart instead of recognizing how dumb they are. Mm. They're Numerous intelligent people who are driving society towards belittling the trades versus recognizing that as they erode the confidence of those people, as they erode the competency, as they take away the experience, they're actually generating situations that are going to become very unsafe for society. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Sometimes you just got to learn lessons the hard way. So I hate it for us in the meantime, but in the long run, I think people who build will will turn out to be the coolest. Yeah. You know? And if you study if you study ancient history, you know, if you study any history whatsoever, when you go to Rome, what do you look at? Yeah, you look at the buildings, yeah. Yeah, you're not like, oh fuck yeah, there's like one new cool Gucci bag in Rome. <laughs> no. You go to the Parthenon. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is what you do. Yeah. And, and you got to be blind to see that. You know, mm-hmm. they talk about you can see the Great Wall of China from space. Yeah. That's it. They don't talk about you can see a cryptocurrency from space. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. They don't talk about the Twitter feed. You know, Th- these are things people are caught up in this transactional life and this mm-hmm. momentary life. And they're so caught up in it, they can't see how fast their own life is passing. Yeah. Yeah, and and what I like about you've you've said a few times, and to kind of tie it in, I'm thinking of this word as you're speaking, and I'm thinking of the word primal, Um, and I thought that when you first kind of mentioned, even when you go right back to the design of your um, label and the graffiti aspect, and that kind of primal movement and that primal urge that makes people do that graffiti like you say you just grab something and the first thing you kind of feel within yourself you write it on a wall or it's the way you express yourself and i feel like construction or practical people or that primal instinct to make things um is kind of within us all and 
yeah, perhaps you're right if we can capture that at a very young age because, like you say, there are very inquisitive minds where we haven't been kind of polluted by all the shit that makes us forget how important that, that skill set or that um, want to create is. Um, yeah, if we can find a way to foster that and, and then also value that from uh, society at large, perhaps that's our saving grace to keep that kind of primal instinct of, you know, we're humans, we're creating. You know, one thing I like to say to my apprentices when we're setting out a floor slab and we're using string lines and I've just kind of, I always like to bring it up. I'm like, you know, the Egyptians used this same tool to set out the footprint of the pyramid. And, you know, this is something that goes way back in time and we've been using these tools and we've been passing this on from generation to generation in an unbroken line for thousands of years. And there's real value to these skills. Um, And it's such a shame that in our modern age, it's kind of second rate, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, there's like, well, first off, just to touch on what you say, the primal, the whole, this is absolutely it. I mean, mm. you've probably seen that we have this design called the ancient techniques. Yes. You know, and this is the whole idea is like nothing we've done. Part of my motivation in creating this brand too, nothing we've done is ever original, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was going through, uh, I took the kids to New York and we were going through the museum of, of natural history right mm-hmm. with with my mom and and my stepdad who's also a builder he's a cabinet builder right mm. and uh and i'm down at the very basement and i'm looking through this special exhibit um from the egyptians right right, right. and i'm like holy shit these people are insane you know yeah. you're looking at these hieroglyphics man what are they talking about this is nuts mm-hmm. and uh and they have a little clay pouch you know, like you would wear around your hip and inside the clay pouch, there's a clay tablet, right? And, and in one of these, they have it broken open and they have it translated. And it's like, you know, the guy, the, the construction worker is telling the weather for the day and how many people are working on the job site. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when it like, right then I go, Oh, Oh, here we go. You know? Yeah. It just hasn't changed. There's no. nothing, you know. A daily report is like the most boring thing you ever done in your whole life. Mm. It saved you. It has saved your life before, whether you recognize it or not. It saved your boss's life too. Mm-hmm. But the key thing is just being aware of what you're doing on a daily basis. Mm. Like you said, how do you operate a dumpy level? I don't even know if you have that term. Yeah, we call them dumpies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, how do you operate a dumpy level? Why does everyone use a laser level? What mm. is an inch versus what is a millimeter? Mm. You know, I, I had a neighbor, you know, one of these funny instances where a neighbor comes to me and he's like, Jared, Jared, we can't figure out how to use this saw. Every time we measure and we cut, it's, it's not the measurement that we thought it was going to be. Mm. And so I walk over there. And I'm like looking at how they're using the tape measure. And they're like, well, you know, we put it here and we measure and we cut and it's supposed to be six inches. But then we cut and it's like just a little bit under six inches. And I'm like, well, where are you putting your blade? And they're, you know, they're not taking into account the arbor of the blade, you know. 
-hmm. is the moral of the story. But I told them right there, I'm like, look, you could be measuring in pink elephants. Mm. It, it literally does not matter. You mm. could put a piece of paper on your wall and mark the piece of paper and then put that piece of paper on the wood and mark the piece of wood. <laughs> the dimension doesn't even matter. When you break it all the way down, it doesn't even really exist. Mm. It's, a, it's a philosophical construct that's used to organize society. Mm. And really, come the end of the day, the people who built it are all that matters in the moment and the focus and the competency and the mental fortitude it takes and they put into it and how long it lasts is an awesome outcome. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, I don't even know how you got me that spun out, Adam, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like it as well. You know, I often think in this day and age, um, where we've got to, um, in, in construction, you know, I tell a story about, um, on the very first episode of this podcast of my great grandfather, he was a shipwright carpenter in the Northeast of England. And he worked on a ship, um, that at the time was the largest moving vessel ever built. Um, and he was like the head carpenter who kind of, it was the sister ship to the Titanic. So it had all these, you know, winding staircases and beautiful kind of stuff like that. And, you know, he was the kind of guy that he was the first one on site and the last one at home uh, every day. And I always think like, man, it's such a shame. I don't feel like we live in a world anymore where that kind of thing will ever happen again. Like it's so rare that we'll, um, and, and now I'm going way back have the ambition as society to build these huge, massive, long projects because everything's just so fast and quick and we want to get it done. And, um, you know, there's no real ambition to celebrate, hey, we could get together and it might take like a 100 years, but we could build this and how great would that yeah. be, you know? Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of a shame. It's something about building like, man, I wish I was around in those times when they were putting up those gothic cathedrals or you know they were building that wall or whatever it may be well you know and so this is one thing i tried like in my own life like is i appreciate you sharing that and like you're right there's a level of craftsmanship that sometimes isn't always apparent you mm. know and one thing i i coach myself on and i try and coach whoever will listen on as well is like to not turn in for for nostalgia you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, we are becoming the past every moment, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and what we choose to do next makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And that people can only do what everyone else has opted into. Mm -hmm. You see, if there is a contractor who decides to take the cheap, low, quick and dirty job, then that job exists. Yeah. If no contractor takes it, then the job does not exist. Mm. You see? Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, there are projects that are being built and we may elevate them and we may say like, oh, this is, this is a good project or this is a bad project. Mm -hmm. And I think that is is too a derivative of how people get sometimes a negative sentiment towards our culture, mm -hmm. which is 
there is no good and bad building. Right. There is no good and bad boat. Mm. There is no good and bad project. There is only the cut that is in front of you. Mm. You mm. see, mm-hmm. there is only the building you are laying out. Mm. There is only the team you have, and that I think is where the spirit of the journey, you know, for for myself is found. Mm. You know, and um, and I like to reflect on that. Mm-hmm. That the most important projects to me in my life are not the biggest projects I've ever built. Right. They're actually the projects I do with my children. Mm-hmm. Sure. They're the simple things mm-hmm. where I'm passing along a skill or a competency that I learned the old fashioned way, you know, from my old man or mm-hmm. his old man. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my dad's dead. So. Yeah, until just recently, I was learning everything still from my grandpa, you know? Yeah. That's a funny thing to think of, but we are a direct reflection of that. Mm. And so, you know, I would I would put it forth to you that maybe every project you're on is just as important as that boat, mm. you know? Yeah. And and to, while appreciating your, your grandfather's... Um, achievements to also go wow like each individual we touch on a job site on a daily basis we have no idea where they walk with that Mm. and what Mm -hmm. they achieve with that Mm. and that building is beyond the building but is building that life and that community yeah you know it's it's a very nebulous thing you know for some guy you know, who runs a clothing company in North Carolina to be talking about to, you know, a carpenter foreman in New Zealand. But I think it's the thread that holds our entire community together if we'll just face it, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. if we'll just face the fact that we are here for self-fulfillment and that it's outward expectations that have let our community down, not our own expectations. Yeah, for sure. Yes, sir. I think that's that's a great way to end it, actually, Jared. You've you've outdone yourself there. All right. <laughs> um, well. Yeah. So I I, I want to give you a small opportunity to kind of have any closing thoughts if you if you do, or even um, just to promote Epitage and where people can find you. And um, you know, earlier we were saying um, for the audience here in New Zealand, um, Epitage ship all their stuff internationally um, at a flat rate. Um, so yeah, Jared can, can say more about that. Um, what I'll say is if you want to find us, you'll be able to find us. Mm -hmm. Adam, I'll tell you, like I tell everyone here, you're doing the Lord's work. Okay. You're 100% killing it for the community. And, you know, we appreciate everything we're doing. We'll be glad to send you some free gear and hopefully you can get it into the right folks hands. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the waxing and sharing the conversation. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been, it's been very rewarding. It's been a lot of fun. So yeah, maybe we can do this again uh, another time, but yeah. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. See you later. All right. Thanks for listening, friends. If like me, you enjoy conversations about the love of building and creating, then please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review at wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much to Jared for his time. 
this was my favorite podcast yet and is exactly what I envisioned this show could sound like. So all praise to Jared for making that happen. I encourage you to go follow Jared and his projects on Instagram. Uh, he's at Epitage Workwear, Dubtaps Construction, and Jared.Epitage. The man is an absolute beast and he deserves your support. Thanks again to you for your time. I really appreciate it. If you think you have something to offer and can top this episode, then hit me up. You can follow me on Instagram at Chippaway Carpenter to keep up to date with what's happening on the podcast. And until the next one, keep chipping away.